Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next podcast about boosting your occupancy. So I'm really delighted to be with Margot here, if you would kindly introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Margot Cook, and I am the International Training and Coaching Manager for Sherpa CRM and now known as Align. Well, brilliant to have you here. It's uh, excellent to talk through ways to boost your occupancy. So let's um, have a conversation about how is the situation of occupancy at the moment? It always could be better, right? right. <laughs> um, I think that's why it's so great that we're having this conversation. Thank you for starting it, Ali. Um, I think we all can feel that pressure of um, wishing things were moving faster and we're having more of an impact than we than we are. What we're seeing um, throughout the, the UK is occupancy ranging anywhere from, you know, the 20s, 30s, all the way up to, to 90s. About six out of our 20 customers are really seeing about 90%. So what does that tell us? It just tells us there's a whole lot of opportunity for all of us to, to see some great gains in 2024. My role is that I'm always floating around different operators trying to find ways that they can increase occupancy. And I'd probably say I've only, you know, of a, a few, a handful that are actually performing in terms of you know, hitting the targets. It's such a critical key area because increasing your sales velocity has such a significant impact on your, on your ROI, right? Your profit. We don't talk about it, I think, enough in realizing we want NOI. If we can really dig in as a country and really talk about what does it take to drive revenue, what does it look like to operationalize our sales if, if our executive directors and general managers were more a part of really driving revenue for our communities, that's how we're going to get to a positive NOI. It's not the salesperson's full responsibility. It's it's a full operation. Why perhaps are potential reasons why occupancy is low? I think one one area is is around the poor negative customer perception in England. There is unfortunately a big stigma still about the sector, as it, you know, it's not really something people are generally looking forward to do. And there's also this concept of, of an Englishman and his his castle. I think we're making strides to improve the customer perception, but I think it's still just way too bit by bit the most. And I really hope we can have a more of a collective effort in England with the help of Arco to change customer um, perception. Would you um, like to offer another factor about why you think occupancy is, is low in so many places? It's not just a UK problem. I don't know that that helps anyone feel better, but I see it in the Canadian customers that I work with and throughout the United States. And I think if we were really just to stop and think about who our customer is in general, yes, there are nuances within each culture and that make that have a bearing on this. But ultimately, getting old is hard and it's scary. We're working with a generation, um, the boomers, especially as we kind of move into this new generation of senior, they are fighting age with everything they have, right? We've got plastic surgery, we've got fitness, we've got 
wellness. We have all of these things. They've their whole life has mm-hmm. been about fighting the aging process. And so when we think about who our customer is, these people are, they might be agent income qualified, but what does that really mean? Somebody that is fighting growing old, do they really want to move into a community with a bunch of old people? That's what they're telling us, right? I'm not ready to live with a bunch of old people, even if I'm 86, which is about the average age. You also think about the income side of things. They they can afford to do anything. Mm. They can afford to bring people into the home. And so why would they, whether it's rental, purchase model, care home, whatever service we're providing within this sector, my home is my safe place. It's where I feel purpose. It's where I feel my sense of independence. It's what I've strived for my entire life. And so we're really coming against not a logical decision. I know I'm getting older. I know that there's probably going to come a day where I can't live here anymore. It's an emotional resistance. And I think we don't talk about that enough, about why people, 90%, think about this, 90% of the customers that we're trying to serve The numbers are there. Everyone's kind of full the numbers, right? It's not like there's not enough people for us to serve. So when there was a a study done years ago, but they they asked people 65 and older, do you have plans to move to a retirement community? Mm -hmm. We plan for our future. Most of us do. And so, no, the answer, 90% of the people said it's not in my plan at all. Whether it's because I'm afraid of it, because, you know, my experience with family members in the past or my own fears of growing old. And so 90% of the people we're trying to serve emotionally are resisting this change. So that's really the question is how do we address that? Okay. Well, let's, let's certainly get into that because I'm sure all of our listeners will be really keen to take away some tips and, and tricks that we've seen with all of our expertise in the retirement living and care sector, I very much echo what you're saying, that it is a very complicated, difficult sell. This is not, like you say, something really sexy that people want to buy, like a Lamborghini car or something. This is a very complicated sell. We are selling change. We are not selling real estate or a transaction. Being customer-centric, get in the mindset of who our customers are Mm -hmm. and empathize with them and listen to try to meet them where they are and help help them to, to transition this incredible life journey. So shall we then go into um, some of the, the solutions here of how we would recommend to people that we can try to shift the needle? Gosh, I wish I, wish I had all the answers, Allie. I've been in the industry for 27 years. And so all I can say is that I've made a lot of mistakes I've gone through a lot of hard times and I've learned from a lot of other people um, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And the biggest impact on my life is when I came across the sales process of prospect-centered selling. As a salesperson, I was dealing with, I'm not ready yet, all the time. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so what prospect-centered selling offered was a a way for me. It equipped me and empowered me Mm -hmm. as a salesperson. And then as I became an assistant vice president of sales, it also equipped me and empowered me to 
coach and manage my team to increase performance. Mm -hmm. And so when I have been working with people in the UK, applying those same principles has really helped because what it allows us to do is step back. You and I were talking before about, I think the greatest opportunity as, as a, as a leader for our organization, whether we own a retirement company, we're investing in it, we're managing it. The greatest thing we can do as leaders is really step back and and rethink what is the problem that we're trying to solve here and why? How do we increase the outcomes and drive the outcomes that we're looking for? And so there was a book that I read about Think Again by Adam Grant that really, really helped open my thinking to um, how can I look at the problem differently And so looking at it from the prospect's perspective, Mm. because if, if I'm trying to sell something, if I'm trying to lead my organization to better results, and I keep looking at it from my perspective, then I'm always going to fall a little short because it works part of the time, but it doesn't work enough. Mm -hmm. And so we do that with other, other industries, right? We listen to our customers. We do studies. We listen to panels. We want to understand the customer's perspective. So I don't know why we don't do that as often in retirement living, whether we're listening to the families or we're listening to our customer, the prospect themselves. So in preparation for this, I just kind of started to look at some numbers of let's look at it from our prospect's point of view here in the UK. And it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. As I looked at the customer's journey. So when we look at the customer's journey, that's from inquiry. So from our marketing efforts all the way through to a decision. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at that whole journey. Mm -hmm. What do you think most people would assume? Do you think that that we all assume if I drive leads, those Mm -hmm. leads will convert to a decision within 30 days, 60 days? And so often, um, that's not the case at all. If you really look at your customer's journey, what we're finding in the UK and actually in the United States and Canada as well is it's about 200 days. Mm. For independent and assisted living, it's about 200 days. For care homes, it's it's going to be faster because it's more need-driven. That makes yeah, sense, obviously. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, wow. <laughs> um, the leads that we're generating, today are are hopefully good qualified leads but what do I do with them if I've already called and followed up I've already booked a tour maybe I've even retoured the question is is what do I do because driving new leads isn't going to help me get the outcomes I'm looking at because those people aren't going to convert today either right so Really looking at that customer's journey and how I have to adjust and adapt my sales process to help that person make a decision sooner rather than later. And as a company leader, it's not forcing outcomes. If I keep coaching my team and saying, what tours do you have? What phone calls have you made? Do you have a deposit? Are you getting move-ins? And I keep asking that one month after another, then my salesperson is going to struggle because I'm asking the wrong question. Mm. I'm not going to convert the leads 
that I'm working right now in this month, it's probably going to be three to six months from now. Mm-hmm. And I think building on what you're saying, also having an efficient sales process where you can track the lead throughout the journey to see how it transitions so that you can efficiently know you're following up on time. That part of nurturing the inquiries through to conversion is, is often an area, unfortunately, that many people miss. It's, it's really something that needs to be kept on, on top of so, so you know where are you with that person? What is the last time you touch them you know, from a sales or marketing point of view? I think one of the things that I've, I've always been a little surprised at when we talk about what is the best data to, to look at and how do I use that to improve my efficiency? Too often, one, we, we don't understand that customer's journey. Is it 30 days? Is it 200 days? So that's one thing. And then what's the next metric to maybe consider looking at? Too often, what I find is that people aren't breaking up that journey. So when we think about that customer's journey, we go from inquiry to visits. So that's one conversion. How efficiently are we working our leads to get face-to-face time with them? Mm-hmm. But then if I really want move-ins, the other metric that I should be weighing the heaviest is visit to move-in. Right. And there definitely isn't a common language, unfortunately, being used with everyone about the, the critical metrics. So really, some of the question is, as a man, as a kind of in these upper tiers, it's not just looking at quantity, but looking at quality. What is the effectiveness of the sales behavior? And when we can open up and not make it kind of that that heavy pressure, if you will, but we can come in more curious and not judgmental, when we can kind of say the numbers there, I wonder about the quality and and listen and learn from our people, they actually can get better results. Offer some more practical tips on things people can do to increase their occupancy. I would recommend to people that that they order or assess the end-to-end customer journey through every touch point. And I score it out of five to know what, what are the areas that you're performing very well at or what are the areas where, where there is a gap. So what's everything from marketing through to actual sales. So, you know, what is your, what, what is your website like? What is your, your, um, your advertising like to your creators? What is your um, phone calls like? What is your tour experience? What, what is your follow-up process I, I would encourage everyone to do that or, or get someone like me, but to, to do it. So, um, you know, what are maybe some low hanging fruit out there from a from wearing walking in the customer's shoes? What could be fixed? And I think the final area, I would say alignment between sales and marketing. And I think often there's a lot of tension there with mm-hmm. sales and marketing blaming each other for all sorts of things. But But, you know, the truth is just that the customer will miss out like that. So I would be urging the the sales and marketing teams to be thinking together how can they look through the customer journey and you know give give you know good constructive feedback with each other about did did we get the number of quality leads in and from which sources is the messaging on point what can we do through through to the salespeople actually making sure they're highly effectively following up on 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 all of the, all of those leads to convert them and giving feedback back to the marketing team about well these were the needs or the pay points. I think you make such an excellent point that's often a missed opportunity. Again, this goes back to 
people wanting to perform and, and what performance looks like to them. So when a marketing team is being measured by the number of leads that they're generating, if that number's there, but those leads aren't converting to a, a tour or that tour to move in, mm-hmm. we're on the same team here, right? And so the question is, is how do we generate better leads, right? How do we market to those the 90% who maybe isn't ready? In each market, too often we we look at top performers and say, I need, I want to meet that metric. And why not just be the best that you can be? Take whatever your current performance is and take a step up and say, how can we be better next quarter? How can we be better in 2024? And so when we align marketing and sales, I've actually had companies see great success in that in generating less leads, but those leads convert at a higher ratio than the number of leads. And when we think about what it really takes for a salesperson to work that lead from inquiry to tour, and then that tour to move in is 200 days. There's a lot of work to be done there. So have we thought about how marketing can help us nurture those existing leads? What about all the people that haven't moved in yet and the huge databases that we have? And how can marketing help re-engage leads that we've already paid for? Mm-hmm. But the, I think the greatest opportunity that I've seen is um, equipping and empowering your salespeople and your operators to be more efficient through coaching and training Um, through establishing a sales process throughout your organization that really is a recipe for success and not just kind of, you know, playing, playing darts and hoping that we hit the bullseye. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. There's a lot of science, well-oiled, efficient processes. So thank, thank you so much for the, um, the session. Margot, it's, it's been really, really useful and uh, inspiring. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. I I am so thankful that you're starting this conversation. There's so much opportunity um, throughout the country to really help more people and get better results. So I would love to um, continue the conversation whenever you'd like to invite us. We're honored. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. Yes. To be continued. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Margo.